Wow. Sure good to be here with you again today and to look at your faces and to know that I'm loved and uh, to tell you that we love you too. It's just a real privilege to be here. This morning at the earlier service, as I listened, it felt like uh, I was being given a preview of the message that I want to bring to you. And so I'm going to thank the Lord uh, for that introduction that uh, I had this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I'd like to read the first 18 verses. John chapter 1. Reading, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. We're just singing glory to God. We saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And may God bless the reading of his word to us. And may we pray for just a moment. Father, it's so exciting to read these words. That the word that was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Father, may we see his glory this morning. May we be filled with the knowledge of him. Father, bless our time together this morning as we pray that Jesus 
Christ, our Savior, might be glorified. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Without doubt, this time of the year is my favorite season. And sure, it become, can become a little bit hectic at times. Yet, it's exciting. And a time I look forward to for a number of reasons. There's the smells, the sights, the sounds, the presence, the soul healing music. But especially the fact that it is the season where everything is filled with Jesus. It is the season that is filled with Jesus. This is the season when the spotlight is on him. And when therefore it is very natural to talk about him. And chances are higher during this period that someone will say, so what do you make of this Jesus? And so we ask, who is this Jesus who once lay in the arms of the Virgin Mary? Who is this Jesus before whom the shepherds and the wise men felt compelled to kneel in adoration? Who is this Jesus who just walks into our lives, calls us down a different path, and expects us to obey? Who is this Jesus who by simply touching heals broken lives? Who is this Jesus who simply by a word raises the dead? Who is this Jesus who dies on a Roman cross crying out, finished? And who is this Jesus who three days later stands in the cemetery garden outside an empty tomb and tells us we no longer need to be afraid? And who is this Jesus whose mere presence in the 21st century unsettles the status quo? Why do people get ruffled up at a civic gathering when someone prays in Jesus' name. No one objects when the, ho when the Hindu holy man prays in the name of Vishnu. No one objects when a Buddhist prays in the name of nothingness. No one objects when a Muslim prays in the name of Muhammad. Yet all kinds of objections are raised when someone prays in the name of Jesus. Why? Who is this whose very name rocks the boat? Who is this Jesus who once you have encountered him, you can never go back to business as usual? Who is he? Everything, literally everything, hangs on the answer to that question. Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Karl Barth, one of the past century's great, greatest theologians, once said, tell me your Christology and I will tell you who you are. Tell me, tell me what you make of Jesus and I will tell you who you are. Who is this Jesus? Our text today is the prologue 
of the Gospel of John, and we, which we just read. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It's a prologue, not a preface. Luke has a preface. John has a prologue, something very different from a, pre from a preface. A prologue is like a good book review. It draws us into the book and then introduces us to the essential elements of the story that is about to be told. And so in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, we meet the key words that are going to be expanded on in the rest of the story, the rest of the gospel. There are words like light and, and life and darkness and witness and true as in genuine. World, believe, birth from above, glory, begotten, and God. And here's the major point. The prologue is more than an introduction. The purpose of the prologue is to make sure that when you read the rest of the story, we read it correctly. That is when we go on to watch Jesus work and listen to Jesus speak, the prologue helps us to realize who it is that is working and speaking. Are you with me? In the beginning, begins verse 1 of the prologue. In the beginning, when the writer of the Gospel of Mark tells the story, he begins at the banks of the Jordan River when Jesus steps into the water to receive the baptism of John the Baptist. But us is Luke. The story began long before that. And so he begins to tell the story in the village of Nazareth when the angel Gabriel comes to a peasant girl and tells her the impossible is about to happen. He says a virgin is going to conceive and bear a child, a unique child. His name is to be Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God. But all says Matthew, the story begins even earlier than that. And so he begins telling the story referring to the promise made a thousand years before to King David. And to the promise made 2,000 years before that to Abraham. And Matthew in chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The story begins, but us is John. The story begins earlier than that. John wants us to realize that the Jesus story began long before his baptism, long before his virginal conception, long before the promises made to David and Abraham, long before Noah, long before Adam and Eve long before the mountains erupted into the oceans, long before the dinosaurs roamed the earth, long before any primordial ooze, as they say, began to stir, and long before any Big Bang, if there was such a thing as a Big Bang. In the beginning, that is where the Jesus story begins. 
actually before the beginning. And I'd like to spend a little time on verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was, John said, was. The Greek tense of the verb used here refers to continuous action in the past that is already was. In the beginning, he already was. In the beginning, he already was because he always was. There has never been a time when he was not. Which is why the story does not begin once upon a time. The story begins before there was time. In the beginning, already, always, he was. When therefore we read the rest of the story, we are reading about someone who has been around for a very long time. And as God says of Jesus through the prophet Micah, his goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. In the beginning was the word. The word. The Greek name is Logos. And why use this term? Why begin the story calling Jesus the Word or the Logos? Why not use the term Son? As you know, in the rest of the Gospel, John is going to make much of the fact that Jesus is the Son, the unique Son, the only begotten of the Father. Why not begin on that note? Why not begin the gospel? In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was God. All things came into being through him, and the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. Why not begin on that note? Or why not use some of the other titles that Jesus will receive as the story unfolds Titles like the Son of Man, or Messiah, or Lamb, or Lord. In the beginning was the Lamb, and the Lamb was with God, and the Lamb was God. Why use this term, Logos? Because in that term we have John's purpose for writing. John is first and foremost an evangelist. And he wants to make a connection with the people of the first century as he tries to tell them who Jesus is and what he does. John wants to begin the story on a note that will hook that first century mind. And the term word or logos does that. The term gives them an entree into the mind and heart of most of the people of his day, the first, gen first century. John is here telling the Jews that Jesus is how God communicates with people. Jesus is the way God speaks to us. In order for us to listen to God, we must listen to Jesus. 
And by using the term Logos and applying it to Jesus, John makes an amazing connection with the Jewish people. Jesus explains who God is. I hope you noted that in John chapter 1, verse 18. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has fully explained him. God. Jesus has fully explained him. Have you heard the explanation from Jesus? We'll try to get there. So when John uses the term logos, he uses a term that connects with the soul of every culture he knows. I was speaking to a relative of mine three or four days ago in Italy. She was a philosophy major in college. And I asked her, which of the philosophers did you study? And she mentioned Aristotle and Plutarch and the usual run. I said, is it not true that philosophy is a search for truth? And she said, yes. Which of the philosophers that you studied or know of has led you to truth? She didn't know. I said, is there any man whether he be a philosopher or not, that you know of or know about that has led people to truth. Didn't know. I said, no, there is a man. There is a man who once said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Do you believe that? That's what I asked her to. As I'm asking you. And she said, yes. I believe that. Look at, at this passage again. Jesus is the Logos. But the text goes a bit further. It says, and the Logos, the word, was God. Wow. The word was God. It makes sense, does it not? How could it be any other way? God's self-expression, the one who is supremely great, can be no other than God himself. When I express myself, that expression is me. When you express yourself, that expression is you. When the living God expresses God's self, that expression can be nothing other than and nothing less than God himself. God expresses himself and that expression is a person just like himself. It is himself. And God speaks of for himself, and that speech is a person, and that speech becomes flesh. 
dwells among us, takes upon himself the name Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Was. There's that little word again. Was God. Already, always, and now I need for you to pay particularly close attention because there's something terrifically important that are in these verses. Now, as you undoubtedly know, there are some who argue that John's phrase should be translated and the word was a God, the indefinite article. Or they might say the word was divine. And they argue for this because the word for God does not have the definite article, T-H-E, before it. That is, the Greek here does not literally read, and the word was the God. So they say we should render it, and the word was a God, or the word was divine. Two responses. First of all, the Greek word for God does not need to be rendered divine because there is a perfectly good Greek word which John could have used if he had meant to make that point. Secondly, and I want you to follow me here because it involves a little bit of grammar. A little bit. I was not enamored with grammar when I was growing up, um, though I've begun to appreciate it as I've gotten older. I want you to look at verse 1 in your Bibles. I'm going to be talking about the last four words in verse 1. The last four words in verse 1. And those last four words are, the word was God. You got that? See that? The word God or theos does not need the definite article because the term word or logos has the definite article. The word, the word has the definite article before it. You see that? The little word was unites God and word, and if one of them is definite, the other is automatically definite. You have the definite article before the term word, and it automatically demands that God also carry the definite article, at least in our understanding. It has to carry the definite article. The word was the God. If the word is definite, God also has to be definite. They have to correspond. One cannot be definite and the other indefinite. They either are both indefinite or they are both definite. This is a very important point. Who is this Jesus? Who is the one who sleeps in the manger? The one who before Bethlehem already was, already was, always was. 
in the beginning, before the beginning, he was. And he was already, always God. God chooses to speak for himself, to reveal himself, and that speech and that revelation turns out to be Jesus. In the prologue, John tells us what Jesus, the Logos, was doing before Bethlehem. And the word was with God. With God. This preposition with introduces us into the great mystery of God. With. Literally, it's towards It suggests the picture of a face-to-face encounter, face-to-face relationship. It suggests the picture of face-to-face intimacy. Before Bethlehem, Jesus enjoys face-to-face intimate relationship with God as God. He was in the bosom of the Father. The NIV says at the Father's side in verse 18. This says that Bethlehem was not his first home. And it says that when he came to earth, he did not come to meet any need in himself. He comes out of his fullness. He comes out of joy, which means that he does not come to use us to meet a need in himself. And all things came into being through him. Before Bethlehem, this Jesus was at work creating. What was he creating? All things. Did you get that word all? It means all. When you study the Greek carefully, the word all means all. And to make the point more boldly, John says, apart from him, nothing has come into being. Amazing. It says that the universe is not an accident. The universe has meaning. It says that you and I are not accidents. We too have meaning. When the philosopher asked, why is there not nothing? John answers, because of the word because of Jesus, because he gives it that meaning. All things came into being by him. He simply spoke, and they were. You know, in one sense, the angels are very fortunate to have been created first because it meant that they had the opportunity to be there before Bethlehem. And they saw... God creating the world. Job says the angels shouted for joy. I know I would have. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine in your wildest imagination hearing God say, let there be light? And there was light. Can you imagine that? Let there be a sun and a moon, and there was. Let there be stars and and poof. 
There are millions and trillions and trillions upon trillions of them. Let there be an earth. And there was. Let the earth bring forth vegetation and oranges and figs and strawberries and lettuce and all these burst forth. And let there be elephants. And, and one day the elephants came trumping in, tramping in like kings. Let there be giraffes and lions and bears and let there be ostriches and wallabies and anteaters and let there be rabbits and hamsters and squirrels and all over the place they came. And let there be roses and lilies and sunflowers and all of a sudden all of creation is brushed with the most beautiful of colors. All things came into being by him. All. It is the work of this Jesus. Which means that all of creation owes its existence to him. Everything that has life and breath owes its existence to him. Even to those who do not want even his name to be mentioned in the city halls of our country. Everything is stamped with the will and character of Jesus. Oh, that the eyes of men would only open and, and see it. It either works, this creation either works the way he made it, or it disintegrates. That is why the world is in such a mess, because it's trying to do it its own way. It's not going the Jesus way. And it won't work. It can't work. It was all made to work in his way. All things came into being by him. Is it any wonder that while he's on earth, he's always recreating it? If he can call into being suns and moons and stars, of course he can turn water into wine. Simple. Of course he can heal leprosy. Of course he can chase away the demons. Of course he can raise the dead from the grave. If he is the one who called into existence the incredible variety of humanity on the face of this earth, of course he can draw all ethnic groups to himself. And of course he can meet the need of every single person in this room. Of course he can. When you know who this Jesus is, that all things came into being by him, you know, miracles aren't any big problem. The wonder is not that Jesus does miracles. The great wonder is that he died. That he gave his life for a humanity that didn't want him. That's the wonder. That's the mystery. 
This is the mystery of mysteries in the Jesus story. The creator, the life giver, comes to earth, born in a stable, and goes to a cross. The eternal one dies. That's the mystery. That's the wonder of the whole story, that he who always was chooses to die, and we must ask, why? And for whom and for what did he die? And we all know the answer, don't we? He died for you, and he died for me. He died for the creatures his hand had made. He died for those creatures that turned their back on him. He died for those in order that they might have the unspeakable privilege of living forever with him. And that is unspeakable. Before Bethlehem, it was the plan of God that he died. He was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the world. And now 2,000 years after Bethlehem, I'd like to ask, won't you say yes to Jesus? if you never have. Won't you say yes to this one as he asks you and me to believe in him, to trust him, to receive him? Who is this Jesus? He is the Logos, the maker of all things who has come into this world which has now sinned itself into pain and violence. And taking all of that pain and violence up to himself and through his suffering drawing us into the light he has lived in since before there was time. In the rest of the gospel, John continues to expand the response to the question, who is Jesus? In John chapter 5, he's the Messiah. In John chapter 6, he's the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he is the light of the world. In John chapter 9, he is the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He is Yahweh. In John chapter 10, he's the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, he's the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And in John chapter 15, he is the true vine, and so on. He's explaining God by telling us who he is. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Who is Jesus? As we read the rest of the story, he is revealed to us in wonderful, wonderful detail, wonderful color wonderful love. We discover this, this one great discovery too, that toward the end of the gospel, the rest of the story having been told, we discover that what was written was written in order that we, you and I, might believe and have life in his name. 
May the Lord bless this little meditation. I call this uh, message uh, Before Bethlehem because it goes back to the beginning. There is a source, there's a beginning, and Jesus was there before the beginning. Isn't that great? We have such a wonderful God, you know. It's a shame for anybody to miss it, to miss out on what God has for you and for me. It's, it's a shame. It's more than a shame, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, we thank you for this one whom we love, whose name is Jesus. Lord, thank you for reminding them, reminding us of him during this time of the year. And Father, this reminds us of his coming at the opportune time. When the world was in such great need, great need, the need as it expresses today. And Father, we do pray that you would help us to share this story, the story of Jesus. The old, old story of who he is and what he has done. And Father, pray this morning that you would bless this congregation of your people. And I pray, Father, again that if there's someone here who has never said yes to Jesus, the one who was from the beginning, the one who's, who is God, the one who became flesh. Father, we pray that any person here, unsure or never yet having made that decision, we pray that perhaps today might be the day of his or her new beginning. We give you thanks as we pray these things in our wonderful Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus. Amen.